Remain standing for our gospel lesson, also our sermon text from John chapter 13. I'll start in verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands And my head, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments And sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask you, to help us not just to hear what Jesus says here, but to be willing to do them. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. You've heard the expression, actions speak louder than words. This isn't always true, but it often is. And sometimes it's only actions that speak at all. This is typically the case, or at least often the case, in child rearing. Sometimes I make the mistake of addressing the children's disobedience with words instead of with other attention-getting mechanisms. Actions often speak louder than words in training 
The same principle is true in teaching. Sometimes an object lesson gets the point across better than any number of words. Our passage here in John 13, it took place on the last night before Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. It was his last full night with the 12 disciples there in the upper room, and he wanted to teach them many things. And for the next several weeks, we're going to consider many of these teachings But Jesus didn't begin this teaching time with words, with a long lecture. He began it with two significant actions. The first is the washing of the disciples' feet, recorded in verses 2 to 11 here. The second is the giving of bread to Judas, recorded in verses 21 to 30. We'll look at next time. But today we're just going to look at that first action, the washing of the twelve disciples' feet. Why did Jesus perform these two, we could ask, symbolic actions? Well, it's because the disciples did need an illustration, an object lesson. They were scared. They were distracted. They were confused. They, they figured at this point, because Jesus had gone to Jerusalem when he wasn't supposed to, they figured that Jesus was about to be arrested. And they were afraid that he would die and that they might even have to die with him. That's why they didn't want him to go. They weren't ready then. They weren't in a good place to hear what Jesus had to teach them. So Jesus gets their attention with some significant actions. But right before John records these actions, particularly the the foot washing episode, he draws our attention to a contrast, an important contrast between Judas, whose father is the devil, and Jesus, whose father is God. John writes in verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. We're going to stop right there mid-sentence at the end of verse 2. Now here John contrasts the actions of Jesus who gave himself up for the brethren, for his disciples, with the actions of Judas, who gave, who's going to give Jesus up to the Roman soldiers. Jesus is, or John is contract, contrasting the humility and the sacrifice of Christ in washing the disciples' feet with the pride and self-centeredness of Judas. With Christ, there is love and loyalty to the end. With Judas, there's treason, treachery. Ultimately, the contrast here is between the way of Satan and the way of God, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And remember, back in John 8, verse 44, Jesus said that the devil, the father of lies, has been a murderer as well as a liar, From the beginning, Judas is just carrying out his murderous father's desires. On the other hand, there's God's way, which Paul describes, which which is illustrated here, but which Paul describes in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Listen, let me remind you of those powerful and popular 
words from Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Having this same mindset that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus didn't use his godness, his divinity, to his own advantage. He he didn't claim his rights as God to get him out of something. He set aside the privileges of being God. Paul goes on to say, Rather, he made himself nothing. Some translations, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the way of God is the way of sacrifice and service, the way of humility and, in Jesus' case, even obedience. The God-man obeys. The way of self-denial and death is the way of God. It's good to remember, especially during times such as our own, that Jesus did not avail himself to the rights and privileges and advantages of being God while he was on this earth. The, think of it, the eternal Son of God did not use his divinity, his godness, to his own advantage. This should give us pause should give us pause before we try automatically, in every case, to leverage the world to our advantage. So we can ask ourselves, how, to, how do we measure up to God? What are you more passionate about? Figuring out how to use your rights, privileges to your own advantage, or looking for ways to pour yourself out, to empty yourself, to humble yourself in service and sacrifice. Sacrifice. What's, what's our knee-jerk reaction here? Are we filled with self or self-denial? Judas, like his father, the devil, sought his own glory and God brought him down. God always opposes the proud. Jesus surrendered his life for the brethren, and God raised him up. The exact opposite happened. God always gives grace to the humble. The rest of that passage from Philippians 2 says this, verses 9 to 11, Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, therefore God exalted him, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, in, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now in verse 3, back to John 13, in verse 3, John tells us what motivated Christ to lower himself, we could say to wash the disciples' feet And we could extend the application to go to the cross too. But in the immediate context, here's what motivated him to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going to God. 
I know we keep considering fragments of sentences here, but they're chock full of important content. So here in verse 3, we see three things that Jesus knew. He, he knew three things that motivated him to humble himself and to serve. First, he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. This speaks of Christ's authority, his authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Second, it says that Jesus knew that he had come from God. This speaks of of Christ's divinity. In, in John's gospel, that the fact that Jesus comes from God is an indication that he is God. That's how John uses that, that phraseology. He comes from God because he is God. Third, it says that Jesus knew he was on the verge of returning to God. And this speaks of Christ's future glory. So he knew who he was and where he came from and where he was going. See, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples not because he forgot who he was, who he is, and where he came from and where he was going. He didn't forget his rights and privileges and status. On the contrary, he washed their feet precisely because he was fully aware, fully conscious of his divine authority, his divine nature, and his future glory with the Father. Jesus didn't humble himself because he forgot he was God. He didn't humble himself because he was pretending not to be God for a time. That's not what it means when it says he emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his godness. It's not what he's doing here. No, he humbled himself precisely because he is God. And he was consciously acting as God, acting like God, because he is God. You see, it's just like God not to use his godness to his advantage. Our God is not above humbling himself. The God-man is not above submitting himself to the Father. He's not above laying aside his rightful glory that he enjoyed in eternity past. He's not above laying aside his privileges for others. Are we? Are you? Now look at your Bibles and follow along as I read verses 4, 5, and then 12. And I'll tell you why I'm going to do that in just a second. So verse 4 says that Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now skip down to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, taken his garments up again, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what just happened here? And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we know what Christ has done and what we just read? Do you know the significance of this symbolic action? I didn't before I started 
studying this passage in earnest during the last few weeks. Jesus isn't just giving us an example of humility. His, his foot washing, his washing of his disciples' feet is more than that. It's also an illustration, or we could call it a parable, of his whole ministry. In just a second, I'm going to show you what I mean by looking more closely, maybe dissecting parts of verses 4, 5, and 12. But first, let me read you a quote from Ray Stedman on this point. In his book, Secrets of the Spirit, Stedman comments on our passage that we're considering this morning. He says this, There can be little doubt here that Jesus was deliberately working out a parable for the instruction of his disciples. He was dramatizing for them the character of his ministry. He was showing them what he had come into the world to do and what, we, and what he would send them out to do, end quote. The actions of Jesus summarized in verses 4, 5, and 12 point to the entire ministry of Jesus. So these three verses, 4, 5, and 12, are a parable of that ministry. So they, they tell the story from the day that Christ left heaven and came to earth to the day he returned to heaven. This, these, this foot washing event tells the whole story. So again, look at the text with me and I'll try to show you what I mean. In verse 4, Jesus gets up from the table and it says he sets aside or lays aside his garments. He lays aside his glory, which is what our clothing is, in order to come down to his disciples' dirty feet. Now over three decades earlier, the same Jesus got up from his heavenly throne. He laid aside his eternal glory and came down to earth to join himself to sinful man. In verse 4, Jesus girds himself with the towel of a servant. In fact, the towel of the lowliest kind of servant. Over three decades earlier, as Paul says in Philippians 2, Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a Servant being made in human likeness. In verse 5, Jesus pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' dirty feet. In a few hours, in less than a day, Jesus will pour out his blood for the washing away of his disciples' sin, their dirty hearts. In verse 12, after Jesus is finished washing their feet, he puts his garments back on, John makes sure to tell us. And he sits back down, John makes sure to tell us, returning to his place at the head of the table. And not too many days from now, after Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead, he'll put his heavenly garments back on, as it were, and he'll return to his throne in heaven at the Father's right hand. He'll return to the glory that he enjoyed in eternity past before the world was made. Here's how Hebrews 1 verse 3 puts it. After making purification for sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
or as Paul puts it, after becoming obedient to death on a cross, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, it says, and gave him the name that is above every name. So now do you see the significance of what Jesus is doing here? This event is a microcosm. It's not primarily about foot washing. It's about the gospel. It's about the entire ministry of Jesus. From the day he left his eternal glory to the day he returned to it. And the hinge point of this story arc is the cross. The cross of Christ is when, where, and how we're washed and made clean before God. The washing of their feet in the upper room points ahead to the washing of our hearts on the cross. Hebrews 10.22 says that our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ in that context. They've been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And our bodies have been washed with pure water, the verse goes on to say. The water that washed our bodies in baptism is an outward sign and a seal of the blood of Christ that cleansed our hearts. Now we skipped over the exchange between Jesus and Peter in verses 6 to 11. So let's go back and look at that. These verses confirm the spiritual nature of this parable or object lesson that Jesus is performing. So consider the setting. And and taking up the towel to wash his disciples' feet, Jesus had entered into the lowliest form of slavery. Foot washing was the job of the most servile of servants. It was certainly not the work of a distinguished rabbi. This was a good way to lose status, lose respect. So Peter couldn't stand it any longer. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied in verse 7, What I am going, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will know after this. Verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. In this exchange with Peter, Jesus makes it clear that he's not really talking about physical dirt. He's talking about sin and our need, their need, to be cleansed from it. Jesus is telling Peter in verse 10 that he, Peter, is a cleansed person. Peter is completely clean, Jesus says. In other words, Peter's been saved from his sins. He's, he's been pardoned from sin's penalty. 
And so from now on, Peter only needs to be cleansed from the ongoing contaminating effects of sin. Judas, however, is not a cleansed person. He's not been saved from his sins. That's the meaning of verse 11 where Jesus says of Judas, you are not clean. In this back and forth with Peter, Jesus uses an image that his disciples knew well that we don't know. Um, You know, we wear tennis shoes and walk on cleaner surfaces. But a person living in first century Palestine would bathe and he would bathe his whole body often before he went to a friend's house to dinner, to eat. And on the way, his body would stay clean, but his feet would be contaminated by the dust on the ground and the roads. And when he arrived at his friend's home, only his feet, therefore, would need to be washed. The rest of his body would be, as Jesus puts it, completely clean. And Jesus uses this image to illustrate an important truth. Those who truly belong to Christ are saved men and women and boys and girls. They're justified. They've been cleansed of their sins once and for all. Their body is clean, as it were. Jesus has washed them, and they are forever forgiven. However, saved people continue to sin. These sins don't cause them, us, to lose their forgiveness, but sins do defile saved people. And so even born-again believers need constant cleansing in order to maintain close fellowship with God. That's one of the things that this parable, this illustration teaches us. So Jesus is not telling Peter that he needs to be born again and again and again. To be born again once is enough. Nonetheless, as born-again believers, we do need to come to Christ continually for cleansing. After the conversation with Peter, Jesus resumed his place at the head of the table, and he began to explain to the disciples what he had just done. Look with me at verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. There's a lot of applications that we won't be able to get into today from this text, but we can ask, what, what is Jesus wanting us to do here? Does he want us to institute the sacrament of foot washing. Some churches have have done this, but that misses the point. What Jesus wants, at the heart of this, what Jesus wants is humility. He wants a people who take the role of humble servant. That's why Paul says, even when you are correcting somebody, rebuking somebody, trying to save someone from from falling into a sin or continuing on in a sin. Be careful, he says, lest you fall into sin yourself. All right? So when we're helping others keep their feet clean, as it were, we do it in humility, knowing 
that we are not better than anyone else and that we are just as susceptible to getting our feet dirty and to falling into sin. Jesus wants us to take the role of humble servant in everything we do. He wants people who lower themselves and who don't always insist on their own will and way. That's what Jesus did himself. Jesus is our example, the perfect example. And remember, this text says we're not above Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If our master emptied himself and played the role of servant for others, surely we who are under that master can empty ourselves and play the role of servant for others. If your master can humble himself, surely you can humble yourself. Are you greater than your master? Are you greater than Jesus? Now I know how each of you would answer that question with your words. I know how I would answer that with my words. Of course I'm not greater than the Master, but sometimes my actions speak louder than my words. And sometimes yours do too. So here's my challenge for the upcoming week. This week, empty yourself of something that you were full of last week. Pick something that you used to your advantage last week and don't use it to your advantage this week. Find an opportunity to serve somebody that you don't normally think to serve. Maybe it's because they are under your authority in some way. This week, lay aside something that you believe is your right. Lay aside maybe even a God-given privilege for the sake of others. Just do it for one week. Jesus laid aside His glory. He laid aside His rights and privileges as the eternal God. And He did it for you. For us. What are we doing to imitate Him? What opportunities is God giving you to reflect the lowliness and humility of Christ? What opportunities is God putting in your lap? This week, make sure that you provide the watching world some way of knowing that you are not greater than your master. And remember that your actions speak louder than your words. Let's pray. Father, Help us to follow Jesus' example in emptying himself and humbling himself and serving rather than seeking to be served. Give us the power through your Spirit to do this. We ask for it because we want to glorify your name. We want to bring glory To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.